Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you along for the ride. We've got a lot to get to on this edition. We're going to bounce around a little bit as well. Uh, we got some Packers to talk about. We've got some Brewers to talk about. And we got something fun that our friends over at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did as well with Wisconsin's greatest athlete. And I can't say that I disagree with the rest of the voters. I will say, though, that I'm surprised at how the voting went. But we'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes. Do have to begin with the fact that as I record this, and I feel pretty safe in saying this for at least the time being, Aaron Rodgers is still a Green Bay Packer. And we now know that it appears as though the Packers are holding out. It appears as though the Packers want a first-round draft choice from the New York Jets and then some for the future Hall of Fame quarterback. I think that the Packers have the leverage in this situation because as they're showing, there's no urgency on their part. They have their preferred quarterback on their roster in Jordan Love. They also have the Jets' preferred quarterback of course, in Aaron Rodgers. The New York media, and New York Jets fans in particular, they have certain demands of their teams, right? Not that you shouldn't. I think that uh, if you're going to invest your time, your money, your effort, your fandom, if you will, into a certain team, uh, they have a responsibility to their fans, the paying customers, if you will. That's why I don't think for a team like the Packers, it's acceptable for them to go into a prolonged slump. There's no reason for it. You don't have uh, the salary issues that you've got in Major League Baseball, the revenue issues maybe more accurately that you have in Major League Baseball, and everybody's making money in the National Football League. And if you're the Green Bay Packers in the smallest media market in Major League Professional Sports in North America, you're on the same general level playing field as the New York Jets, the New York Giants, the Los Angeles Rams, the you know, Chicago Bears, whomever. The playing field is relatively even. The and, and the fact that the Packers have the most loyal fans in all of football, that lends credence to, hey, look, if, if you're going to ask of us to invest in you, we expect a certain return on that investment. And the Packers, by and large, since the rebirth of the franchise in the early 1990s, they have delivered on that. You'd like to see more Super Bowls? Sure, of course. You had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, maybe two of the top ten quarterbacks of all time. You'd like to get a couple more championships out of that. I get all of that. But they have been close. They have knocked on the door. They have been a legitimate NFL franchise for the last 30 years, which the the 20 years prior to that, in between the Lombardi era and the Ron Wolf era, and more than 20 years, but in that, I mean, it's 29 years in between Super Bowl appearances, so almost 30 years between those two Super Bowl appearances, the the Packers were largely a team that was dormant. And it was a team that didn't give fans a return on their investment. Well, they've done that, and then some. And now they're trying to, at the end of their second straight Hall of Fame quarterback's career, they're trying to get the best return on their investment that they could possibly get. But I thought this was interesting, and I thought it was interesting when I first heard it a couple of months ago. And this was before it was a foregone conclusion that Aaron Rodgers was going to be traded. Listen, I still think he's going to be traded. I think it could happen any time. It just is a matter of the Packers getting from the Jets what they want in return. I believe it to be a first-round draft choice and a conditional draft choice for 2024. The only artificial deadline 
really and truly is the draft. And if it goes past the draft, then any capital that the Packers would get, at least in terms of future picks, obviously we'd be pushed back another year. I think the Jets want to get Aaron in the building to have him start working with the other wide receivers in the room, not named Alan Lazard. Uh, I, I think it'll get done. It's just a matter of who's going to blink first. But I thought this was interesting because Andy Herman, from his outstanding Pack-A-Day podcast uh, that he does, he joined us on uh, 97.3 of the game and Fox Sports 1070 of the game in Milwaukee and in Madison and throughout the entire state of Wisconsin. He joined us. This was back on January 16th. Now, much of what he says about the salary cap still remains true. And that's why I wanted to bring it in today on March 27th as I tape this. Yes, it is more than two months old. So there are a couple of things that are a little bit dated from the standpoint of if there's a fit for the, you know, a team in the NFL and there's a fit for the Packers who want to trade. Yeah, okay, we know it's the Jets. We, we get all of that. But as far as why it made sense way back in January from a financial standpoint to trade Aaron Rodgers, well, all of that still holds true, and I wanted to bring that to you right now on the podcast. This is something that I actually believed last year. I posted a very similar video a year ago. However, that was a lot different, right? The Packers were coming off back-to-back-to-back 13-win seasons. At that time, a year ago, at this time, Devontae Adams was still potentially going to be a Green Bay Packer. Rodgers coming off back-to-back MVP seasons. You were thinking you are going to get Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins back, and this was going to be a team that had a real opportunity to compete, um, not only at a high level, but potentially for a Super Bowl in 2022. Uh, for me, even last year, you could sort of start seeing the writing on the wall a little bit, that this is going to probably be uh, a little bit of diminishing returns year after year, because you're going to have to keep borrowing money from future salary caps. And just the ability to do that was going to keep getting strained again year after year. Um, but I totally understood the decision last year because of all those things that I just mentioned that you wanted, you know, arguably over the next decade, no matter what happens, you can make a strong argument that this past season was, you know, possibly the Packers best option to win a Super Bowl. And that was with Aaron Rodgers. Now, a year later, a lot of things have changed and it's still certainly, I still feel the same way that I do uh, now that I did a year ago, that it's time to move on from Aaron Rodgers if there's a trade option out there. Uh, but the things that have changed, obviously Devontae Adams is a Raider. Aaron Rodgers is coming off statistically the worst season of his career. We got to see a little bit uh, of uh, positive you know, movement from Jordan Love, meaning that in, if you go back to 2021, really the only thing that we saw was a disaster in Kansas City that wasn't all Love's fault, but that was a nightmare. And then the last half of the Detroit game, uh, you couldn't really glean much, but in limited time this year, preseason training camp, as well as uh, a cup of coffee here and there and some regular season games, he showed some improvement. The team outlook has changed significantly. You're coming off of 13 win seasons, back to back to back years previous or going back to last year, this year, it's eight and nine. And like I said, the future looks a little bit bleaker than it did certainly at this time a year ago. And then the the Rogers contract is really the biggest thing here. And without getting into too much nerdy salary cap figures and numbers, which probably isn't the best for radio, the easiest way to explain this and the biggest reason why I think this is the right time to make a move. If Aaron Rodgers is traded right now, he's traded today, right? Well, it technically can't happen, but bear with me. Uh, if he's traded this, this offseason prior to June 1st, he would get a $40.3 million salary cap hit towards the Packers this season. And that might sound like, Andy, they are not in a great salary cap space. How could that possibly happen? But you're sort of expecting him back this season, right? If he, if he plays this year, 
he's at a $31 million cap hit. If he plays, not only are you bringing him back, but you're probably bringing back a band of friends that includes Mercedes Lewis, Randall Cobb, and a handful of other players as well. Bringing back Aaron Rodgers this year, just simply enough, is going to cost you more than $40.3 million. And you might be thinking, okay, that's great, but hey, you know, $31.3 million with Aaron Rodgers sounds a heck of a lot better than $40.3 million without Aaron Rodgers. So it'd be $31.3 with him, $40.3 million without. That seems like a very obvious thing, right? It's better to have Rodgers in that scenario. However, because of how his contract is set up, if he plays this year at $31.6 million, next year, if he would retire, there would be a $68.2 million salary cap hit that would be spread over 2024 and 2025. There's no magic salary cap genie that can wipe that out. There's no cap gymnastics. It is just a clear and cut 68.2 million dead cap over two seasons. So you have a $40.3 million, take your medicine now, trade him, get assets in return, or you get one year of Aaron Rodgers in that scenario for basically 99 million. So there is a $59 million difference in those two scenarios, which begs the question, do you want to spend a one-year $59 million contract, basically is what it amounts to, on Aaron Rodgers for one potential season on a team that you might think has an opportunity to win a Super Bowl? And where I come down on it is, I don't think this team is close enough. I think there are too many things that would need to break right. I am sure that if you put your, you know, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness hat on and could calculate every single possible odd, I'm sure that there is one of those that gets Green Bay a Super Bowl next season, maybe somewhere, right? But I think the odds of that being actually the scenario that hits is really, really slim. And I certainly wouldn't basically, you know, mortgage more of the future. And, you know, I would rather start opening a new window some other way than just putting all my chips in the middle and saying, I think this one year is going to pay off with Aaron Rodgers for that amount of money. All right, that was Pack-A-Day Podcast's Andy Herman back on January 16th of this year. Like I said before, it'll get done. I believe that. I hope it gets done. I would like to see the Packers be able to turn the page and get something in return for Aaron. I just don't like this dragging out because in so many ways... What you're seeing is history repeating itself. And it's not great history that's repeating itself right now. Yeah, you can draw the comparisons. The last pass that Brett Favre threw was a playoff interception at home. And the last pass that Aaron Rodgers threw as a Packer was a playoff interception at home. And then they both got traded to the New York Jets. There are so many parallels, both... I guess, empirical and, you know, just mathematic fact. And then there are some other things that are a little bit more nuanced. I've said for years that Aaron Rodgers turned into Brett Favre 2.0. They both became kind of the grumpy old men in the locker room at the end of their careers. They're not exactly on the, the same parallel path, but there are a lot more similarities to this situation than you believe. But that's the latest on Aaron Rodgers. The latest is there's nothing to report. All right, let's change gears and talk about the Brewers. They're making some moves, as you might suspect, ahead of opening day. Now, when you talk about what the final 26-man roster is going to look like, let's get this notion out of the way before anything else. It is not a final roster. It's an initial 26-man roster. There's nothing final about what the Brewers are going to break camp in Arizona with. But there are a few players that we now know have and have not made the team. 
For example, Luke Voigt, who opted out of his minor league contract with the team over the weekend, he then became a free agent, but has said throughout spring training, I kind of like the fit here in Milwaukee, he gives the Brewers some right-handed pop, he can spell Rowdy Telez at first base, can play some designated hitter. Remember, that is now permanent in all of Major League Baseball, and it is never going away. I think for some Brewers fans, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. I grew up with the Brewers in the American League, so... It's just kind of a refresher for me. But for National League baseball fans, there's uh, going to be still a little bit of an adjustment period. I think we're getting used to it if we haven't gotten used to it by now. I feel like I'm over-explaining the designated hitter, but that's part of the reason that Luke Voigt was able to re-sign with the Brewers. One-year contract, one-year option to remain with the team. Also, on Monday, the team officially designated Keston Hero for assignment. That's a shame he started his major league career so well offensively, and then it just, he could never get back on track. And it's not like he forgot how to hit, right? Because when Keston Hero would be sent down to the minor leagues, he'd be sent down to AAA Nashville, and he would tear the cover off the ball. Okay, maybe he's figured out what's gone wrong with his swing. We elevate him to the major leagues, and then it's the same problem over and over again. And then they tried him at different positions, and he is a defensive liability. I think that his ceiling is that he could be a good major league designated hitter. I think that's as good as it's going to get for Keston Hira. I'm not convinced that he forgot how to hit. I'm convinced that sometimes you just need a change of scenery, and hitting is so between the ears that, I mean, we've seen it with Christian Yelich. You lose some confidence and, you know, it starts to become, you know, the snowball effect, right? But Keston here is never going to be a good defender. He doesn't have that skill set. He was a minus defender at second base. They tried to move or, move him over to first base. Uh, wasn't a good first baseman. Didn't have the agility. Certainly didn't have the size to play first base. Sometimes you just want that big target from across the infield to play first base. Uh, wasn't great at scooping balls out of the dirt. Just not a great first baseman. Okay. Uh, They tried him out in left field. He has a limited skill set out in left field, doesn't have a great arm for an outfielder. Listen, neither did Christian Yelich or does Christian Yelich. You know, a gold glove center fielder, Lorenzo Cain, who's retired, he didn't have a very good arm either, but he covered a lot of ground. Keston Hira doesn't have a good arm, couldn't cover a lot of ground. Defensively, no matter where you put him, he is a minus defender, but he could hit. Uh, And there was this feeling in the Brewers organization for many, many years is if you can hit, we'll find a place to stick you in the field. Well, I think they ran out of places to stick some of their defensive liabilities. And Keston here, unfortunately, uh, was one of them. A couple of other moves. Uh, Infielder Abraham Toro. uh, He was in the Colton Wong trade. Uh, He's been sent to AAA Nashville. Uh, Bryce Terang, by the way. Bryce Terang earlier today met with Craig Council and Matt Arnold in Craig Council's office. And the Brewers tweeted out the video. And I'm going to bring you the audio portion of it and kind of describe it afterwards. Kind of my observations of Bryce Terang being told what his major slash minor league slash baseball fate for the 2023 season is going to be. Hey, boy. What's up? Come on. Sit down. Really? <clears throat> Nervous? Yeah. So you left us with a tough decision. I told you that yesterday, man. You gave us a tough, tough call, and um, you know they—they they always tell me when you're gonna deliver bad news, just spit it out. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna option you to Chicago. 
congratulations. Thank you. Nice going. Nice going. Thank you. Pat before you did it, man. Thank you. Congrats. I appreciate the chance. I'm just kind of you earned it, man. Up. You earned it, right? That's the thing, man. Did it. That's how the game works, man. You gotta earn it, right? Yeah. You earned it 100. percent All right. What do you gotta do? Sit down. Deep breath, buddy. You did it. I got no words. Um, I'm excited. I'm. You want to play opening day? Absolutely. All right. I'll see what you do. Absolutely. And I just, thanks for the opportunity. That's all I can ask for. And like I said, I'm going to give it everything I got, leave it all on the, on the table and prove that I could be here for a long time and continue to work hard. I'm lost for words right now. I, it doesn't feel real, but. It's real. It's real. And you did it. And you did it through just kind of knocking down the door like we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. You got a lot of ways to help us win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on the end. That's that's why you're. That's why you're. Uh, why you made the team. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. Uh, thank you. Nice going. Nice going, man. Great job. Man. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Okay, now how cool was that? You're being told for the first time that you're going to the major leagues, but when Craig said we're going to option you to Chicago, if you if you look at the video and I encourage you to go to Brewers at Brewers on Twitter and, and watch the video for yourself because the video is priceless. I think Bryce Terang, he was taking it all in, but I also think he was a little bit confused at first. What do you mean you're you're optioning me to Chicago? Well, obviously that's where the Brewers are opening up their season on Thursday against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. But you hear option, and then you don't hear we're optioning you to Milwaukee, we're optioning you to the Major League Club, we're optioning you to Chicago. Well, it's not Nashville. Chicago doesn't have a minor league team except for the, I think it's Chicago Dogs of the American Association. That's not really a thing for the Brewers to send me to, so I, I guess I'm in the major. He was stunned. He was just shocked. And different guys have different reactions, of course, to getting the call to the major leagues. But I thought it was it was heartwarming because, you know, when you first get that call, that notice, and usually in season, it comes from your AAA manager. So Rick Sweet, who's been the Brewers AAA manager forever and one of the great minor league managers of all time, he's gotten to do this countless times. But at spring training, you get to see it from Craig Council and you get to see it from Matt Arnold, who's sitting in the room as well. So, I mean, it was it was heartwarming. Thought I'd bring you the audio of that, but I would definitely encourage you to go see the video of that as well. All right, speaking of videos, um, I had a chance to uh, join Dennis Krause on the Spectrum Sports Roundtable last week, and I was also on there with Chuck Freeman as well. So what we did was we shot a two-minute, I guess, teaser that ran in newscasts and then the 30-minute show. Not going to bring you the 30-minute show, but I thought it was fun to bring you the two-minute teaser as long as we're talking about the Brewers here on the podcast. This is what uh, Dennis and me and Chuck were talking about last week. This was the two-minute teaser. With Doug Russell, the game in Milwaukee, Chuck Freeman, WIBA Radio Madison, and the game. And, Doug, I'll start with you. What's been the biggest story of Brewers spring training? 
Well, I think early on it was the snip between Corbin Burns <laughs> and the organization. But I think, you know, as spring training has gone along, that's quieted down, and thankfully. But some of the new faces, William Contreras, the Brewers' new catcher, you wonder what some of the young players are going to do either in the major leagues or in the minor leagues. A guy like Sal Fralick, who ra- rose rapidly through the system, eventually wound up at AAA Nashville last year. Everywhere he's gone, he's hit the cover off the ball, but maybe he's not quite ready for the major leagues, but he's knocking on the door. I don't know, Chuck, if it's been the biggest story, but it's uh, interesting to me that a guy like Weimer is making an impact that maybe he's going to make the roster. I always like those guys with the triple digits on the back of their jersey and wondering if they're going to make the, <laughs> the roster. But he's been pounding the ball. He's been going out there. Uh, you know, is there going to be a spot for him on the team? I don't know. But we've seen this We've seen this song before where a guy comes out out of nowhere and has done great at spring training, and then uh, you know he gets on the Major League roster, and he might be gone after a couple of days. So, But, I, I mean, I like what I see so far of him. Brewers in the final days of spring training. They open their season next Thursday, Doug, at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. What should Brewers fans expect this season? I think they're going to be competitive. They still have the best pitching in the division. I don't know that they have the best offense in the division. They've got to score some runs. Christian Yelich has to return to maybe not the MVP form of 2018 or 2019. Uh, but maybe even if he can do what he was doing with the Miami Marlins prior to the Brewers trade, I think that would be a welcome relief for Brewers fans. I think you hit on it there. The Brewers have the pitching. Cardinals have the lineup. Mm-hmm. News today that Adam Wainwright is going to start the season on the IL, going to miss several weeks with a groin injury. What do you think of the division, Chuck? And don't forget about the Cubs getting Swanson in the yeah. offseason, the shortstop, a coveted shortstop. And they've made a couple other free agent moves. Are they ready to contend? No. But uh, you know, a few years ago, 2021, I think they were in first place for uh, up, up until like May or so. But I, I just think it's going to be those three teams, the Cubs, the, the Brewers, and, uh, and the, of course the Cardinals are the favorite division. Chuck Freeman, WIBA Radio Madison, and the game, Doug Russell, the game in Milwaukee, the Roundtable on Spectrum News Always good to be with Dennis Krause on the Spectrum Sports Roundtable. It's a show that's had different names over the years, but they've always shot in the same building uh, on 3rd Street in downtown Milwaukee. And it's been the Sports 32 Roundtable. It was the Time Warner Cable Sports Channel Roundtable for a while. Uh, Now it's Spectrum Sports, so the Spectrum Roundtable had a lot of fun with Chuck Freeman. And I look forward to more appearances over the years as well. It's been, again, it's had a couple of different iterations. It was gone for a while. Now it's back during football season. He's with Leroy Butler and Gary Ellerson uh, for a Packers-specific show. But uh, look forward to posting up with Dennis Krause a little bit more often uh, as the uh, months of 2023 pass along. But, yeah, it's been a it's been a hot minute since I've been on the roundtable. But used to do that show, I don't know, two to four times a month back when they were just churning out uh, those shows. But they were th- those were a lot of fun, and it was good to be back. Uh, one other note for the Brewers as far as their roster is concerned, Rule 5 pick reliever Gus Varland. He was with the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, never got above double-A. Uh, he's made the Brewers roster, and he was a little bit of a surprise. The Brewers liked his velocity. They thought that maybe there's something here, so they Rule 5 picked him from the Dodgers. And what that means basically is at the end of spring training, which is where we're at right now, you can sign him to a major league deal or he has to be conveyed back to the Dodgers. Well, the Brewers felt like he can help us. And if you look at his spring training, he was incredible this spring, with one exception, gave up too many home runs. He did give up four home runs, but he's got a fastball that tops out at 97. His walked uh, strikeout ratio was 17 strikeouts to one walk, so he's a control pitcher. And that's the number one job of a reliever. The number one job, especially of a middle reliever, is to come in and throw strikes. That's it. You want to get guys out, of course. 
but your number one job is to not walk batters. And that's what Gus Varlin showed the Brewers that he was able to do. So he'll join Matt Bush, uh, Hobie Milner, Justin Wilson, and, of course, Devin Williams, and a couple of other options. They haven't quite figured out exactly what the bullpen is going to look like. At least they haven't announced what the bullpen is going to quite look like. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to see Gus Varlin, who who earned a job in spring. You can't always earn a job in spring training, but Gus Varlin was able to earn a job in spring. All right, so this was fun. Our friends over at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, um, you know what March Madness always brings? It brings out brackets of all kinds of different things. And it's, you know, you have 64 different, you know, I don't know, hot sauces. I'm just picking something or, you know, uh, television snacks, whatever the case may be. And then you pair them off and you you play them against each other and you wind up with your final four. Well, that's kind of how the final four has gone. Haven't had a whole lot of chan- of a chance to talk about the final four. We'll do that later on in the week. But the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, uh, our friend J.R. Radcliffe, who's been on the podcast before, he has been spearheading this effort. The uh, bracket of best Wisconsin athletes. And the there was a Brewers-Bucks region. The, the first-round matchups were brutal. And that was by design. The first-round matchup... Robin Young against Paul Molitor. Well, and I voted in every round of these, just like everybody else. I didn't have any kind of special vote or anything. Everybody could vote. You just go online and, you know, click what you thought. So my votes were Robin Young over Paul Molitor. I voted Ryan Braun over Prince Fielder. The toughest one for me in the Bucks brewers region was Giannis Adetokounmpo against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I voted for Giannis, but it was close. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, up until... About a month ago or so, the NBA's all-time leading score spent six years in Milwaukee, so Giannis has eclipsed that by four seasons now. Uh, he was, at one time, the Bucks' all-time leading score. He was so dominant when, he's he, when he was here. Won three MVP awards uh, while he was with the Bucks. Won uh, their NBA championship, uh, their first NBA championship, first or two in 1971. He was the most dominant player in basketball. Giannis is one of the most dominant players in basketball, but I did vote for Giannis partially for longevity, uh, partially for the fact that I, you know, he's still going, and he could eclipse everything that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has done. Not points-wise, I think that's going to be very difficult for any player right now, um, but any, I guess many things within the realm of possibility. Uh, I voted for Oscar Robertson over Sidney Moncrief, and those all held true. Everybody... You know that, or I shouldn't say everybody, but those were the way that the uh, the votes panned out as well. So um, my votes jive with what the rest of the uh, the voters voted. Also, second round, Robin Yount defeating Ryan Braun. I had that as well. I had Giannis over Oscar Robertson, and in the regional final, Giannis over Robin Yount. And there was a college region: Butch Lee over Bo Ellis. Uh, Butch Lee was a national player of the year. Bo Ellis wasn't. I, I'm not strong over that, but I, I voted Butch Lee over Bo Ellis. I did vote Frank Kaminsky over Dwayne Wade. Hear me out. If you're talking about what they did in the state of Wisconsin, Frank Kaminsky was a national player of the year at the University of. Both led their teams to Final Fours. Frank Kaminsky led his team to two Final Fours as opposed to Dwayne Wade's one. And Frank Kaminsky also led the Badgers into the national championship game. That didn't happen with Wayne Wade in 2003, 20 years ago. When Marquette got to the Final Four, they got just pounded by Kansas in the uh, national semifinals. 
Nothing against Dwayne Wade. Obviously, Dwayne Wade had a much more prolific NBA career than Frank Kaminsky. But if you're talking about what they did in the state of Wisconsin, Frank Kaminsky, to me, was the proper vote over Dwayne Wade. But the voters saw it otherwise. And I'm not necessarily surprised. Another difficult one, J.J. Watt over Joe Thomas. Both played for mostly bad teams. J.J. Watt played for a couple of better teams, especially early in his career with the Houston Texans. Obviously, both first ballot Hall of Famers. Joe Thomas already elected. He'll be enshrined uh, in the summertime. But that was a difficult one. Uh, then Ron Dane over Alan Amici. Ron Dane, to me, still the most prolific running back in college football history. Second round, Dwayne Wade over Butch Lee. Second round, J.J. Uh, Watt over Ron Dane. And in the regional final, J.J. Watt beat Dwayne Wade, which I thought was proper as well. All right, Packers region. You want to talk about some arguments. Aaron Rodgers over Brett Favre. Yeah, I get that. Reggie White over Ray Nitschke. Okay. Bart Starr beat Forrest Gregg. I buy that. Don Hudson over Jim Taylor. Those are brutal matchups. Those are brutal, brutal matchups. And yet here we are. Second round, Reggie White beat Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that I agree with that. Second round, Bart Starr over Don Hudson. Don't know that I agree with that. Regional final, Bart Starr over Reggie White. I certainly don't agree with that. Listen, Bart Starr was the kindest, nicest gentleman I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. He was a gentleman to everyone. And a great quarterback and a tremendous leader. I don't want to take anything away from what Bart Starr meant. And even, you know, to this day, several years after he passed, what he means to the Packers, what he means to Packers fans, what he means to the NFL. But he had, what, eight or nine other Hall of Famers on that team in an era where it was easier to win a championship than it is today. That's just fact. It's not, it, it sounds like I'm trying to knock down Bart Starr, and I'm really not. I'm just trying to add some context to it. He was a great player and a better man, but it was easier to win a championship back in those days when there were fewer teams and fewer rounds of the playoffs than today. And again, you look at his teammates, you look at the fact that he had arguably the greatest coach of all time in Vince Lombardi. And to me, Bart Starr was the best of those players. But I think that if you put him, and and this is what's been going on really since the end of the Packers season when it became obvious that Aaron Rodgers was going to be traded, you rank the three. Bart Starr, Aaron Rodgers, and Brett Favre. And you can break them down this way. Bart won the most, Brett took Packers fans on the greatest ride, and Aaron was the best. Aaron Rodgers and Packers fans, I think, are going to have a complicated relationship when it's finally over. Because there are Packers fans, I think more Packers fans than not, that are saying that it's time for the Aaron Rodgers era to end in Green Bay. Not that they're clamoring for Jordan Love, but Aaron Rodgers can be exhausting. Uh, as Mark Murphy said a few years ago, famously, he's a complicated fellow. Because he is. He's got a lot of New Age stuff that a lot of Wisconsinites do not understand. Uh, he's got this California thing going on that a lot of Wisconsinites just don't understand. He's not close with his family, which a lot of Wisconsinites don't understand. I don't understand it. But 
it is what it is. I mean, he has to live his life, and that that's fine. Everybody's entitled to to do that, as far as I'm concerned. Live and let live. But you ask Packers fans, and it's Bart Starr, and then eh, probably Aaron, and then probably Brett. They're all problematic in their own way. Bart, not for anything that he did on the field or off the field, but the fact that he had so many great players around him, and that's partially how they won so many Super Bowl, well, two Super Bowls and five NFL championships in that era. That's not problematic. That's just kind of the circumstance of it. Brett right now is problematic with what's going on in Mississippi. Brett's problematic for some of his off-the-field behaviors, both in Green Bay and after he got traded to the Jets. That's problematic. But he also put Packers fans on this incredible journey for 16 seasons that Packers fans, we, hadn't been on since the 1960s. He added an element of excitement that we hadn't seen, at least I had never seen in my lifetime, and Packers fans hadn't seen in almost 30 years. And that's still exciting. But he, golly, he threw a lot of interceptions, made a lot of bad decisions. Aaron Rodgers, much more of a technician. Now, Brett and Aaron both won their only Super Bowl at the age of 27, which is, I mean, again, another parallel, which is just weird. And that's a whole separate podcast. But if you're ranking them truly, truly by just their own merits, their own quarterback play, here's the here's the order. And to me, it's not really up for discussion. It's not, you're not going to convince me otherwise. It's Aaron, then Brett, then Bart. All Hall of Famers, all champions. But you have to judge quarterbacks, and and everybody for that matter, by more than just what they did after the regular season ended. Again, do we want more Vince Lombardi trophies in Green Bay? 100%, absolutely. And Bart Starr was the leader of a team that won five NFL championships in a decade, which is unparalleled. And I put him in the highest of possible esteem. But again, if you're just judging as a quarterback who had the most talent, it was Aaron Rodgers. Then it was Brett. Then it was Bart, period. So that's kind of how that went. Uh, Getting back to J.R. Radcliffe and his uh, best Wisconsin athletes bracket. That was, again, the uh, discussion for the Packers. The wild card region, Hank Aaron over Warren Spahn. We'll get to Hank Aaron in a second. Uh, Eric Hyden defeating Bonnie Blair. I voted for Bonnie. Arike Agumba-Wale against Sonia Henning. I voted for, I think I voted for Arike. Susie Favor Hamilton over Molly Seidel. I voted for Susie. Second round, uh, Hank Aaron beat Eric Hyden. Uh, Susie Favor Hamilton over Arike Agumba-Wale. Actually, I think it's just Susie Favor. I think she and... Matt divorced now. I think so. I think it's just Susie Favor again. Uh, and then uh, Hank Aaron defeated Susie Favor. Final four, Hank Aaron over Bart Starr. We want to talk about an epic battle. Oh, my goodness gracious. Those were, I mean, that, that's the 60s in Wisconsin sports right there, the 50s and 60s. The 50, I guess more of the 50s for Hank Aaron, more of the 60s for Bart Starr. Uh, Giannis defeated J.J. Watt in the championship. It was Giannis against Hank Aaron, and Hank Aaron won, and I'm shocked by that. 
because I would have thought that recency bias would have elevated Giannis. Nothing against Giannis, but I had him losing in the first. Well, I didn't. I, I almost had him losing in the first round, but it was to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Hank Aaron is one of the top three baseball players of all time. Look at his numbers, but he played in Milwaukee, and then he played in Atlanta. He didn't play in New York like Willie Mays did. He didn't play in New York like Mickey Mantle did. In an era where Bob Gibson caused the mound to be lowered, he was so dominant, Hank Aaron excelled. Hank Aaron only won one MVP, though. But still, if you look at his longevity, if you look at his consistency, Hank Aaron, to me, top three, certainly top five Major League Baseball player of all time. And there were some great ones in there. But Hank Aaron is criminally underrated, criminally overlooked, and yet Wisconsinites, in my estimation, got that right. All right, I've played this before, but uh, it is actually coming next week. And I'm very excited about this. And it's another podcast that I'm doing. I'm, I'm hosting it. I'm producing it. And it's taking away some of my bandwidth from doing the Doug Russell podcast. But this one I am so proud of. Not that I'm not proud of this one, but this one is a labor of love. There is some labor, labor but I do, do absolutely love it. But uh, I want to give you a little bit of a taste of my new podcast, Tales from 1265. It's the greatest story in sports. Dale to the right, McGee to the left, star dropping straight back, hit as he throws, has the ball, and it's a touchdown. I'm Doug Russell, and this is Tales from 1265, an insider's look at football's most storied franchise. The Green Bay Packers, a franchise born a year before the NFL, a fledgling professional effort of a college game that was only a few short decades old. Green Bay had company. There were clubs in big cities like Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, and New York. But there were also little towns as well, like Evansville, Muncie, Akron, and Green Bay. But not only did Tiny Green Bay survive, it thrived and is the most successful franchise in pro football history. This is the game of the year in professional football. And for the third time in three years, the Green Bay Packers have won their way into the title game by topping the Western Division of the National Football League. All right, here is third down and eight yards to go back at the three-yard line. Brett Farr straight back in the pocket. He pumps now, wants to go. He's got him. Man wide open. Here it's caught at the 35, the 40, 45, 50. He's going to go for the He's going to go. Robert Brooks will go 97 yards for the Green Bay Packers. I want to get you, I'd like to get used to this, uh, coming down to locker room uh, celebrations after championships. When you think of all the people that made this franchise the number one franchise in professional football, and for you to now be a part of that, even more so with a street named after you, is, uh, is awesome. It's also a franchise that has had its ups and downs, its dynasties. Trophy presentations being made in the Packer dressing room now, from Pete Rozelle, the commissioner, to Vince Lombardi. This is the first Super Bowl trophy, and uh, it's something Green Bay can keep. We're going to have a, a new trophy each year, so... Uh-huh. Your, you and your squad certainly deserved it. It was a fine game. Thank you, Pete. We're, we're, we're very, very happy to be able to present the National Football League and very happy to win the trophy. And it's rebirths. Every major football decision will be made by Ron Wolf. The Packers, who have had its best players seemingly fall into their laps. Ted, was this just something that was too good to pass up? We had Aaron Rodgers Ray as one of the top players in the draft, and we felt very fortunate to be able to get him at pick number 24. And a team that's gone after and gotten the very best. But I was really impressed with the coaching staff, with the whole organization, and with the direction the team is going. I think that 
They have a total commitment to winning. I realize I'm a Green Bay Packer now, and maybe I can prove that I am worth the first-round pick next year, but you just got to be patient and uh, give me time because I promise I can I can be the man eventually. The Hall of Famers. The gradually sinking in. I signed up autographs last night for the first time with Hall of Fame, and I wrote out Hall of Fame. And the championships. Star begins the count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback. Take it. World champion, Green Bay Packers. The Vince Lombardi Trophy is coming home where it started. Aaron Rodgers ducks it under center, drops to a knee, and time melts away from Super Bowl 45. The title is back in town. The Green Bay Packers are world champions of football. Join me, Doug Russell, for a look back into the archives of football's most storied franchise, the Green Bay Packers, on Tales from 1265. Tales from 1265 starts next week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm going to be in Madison for most of the next month or so uh, with the Badgers and with spring practice. So there'll uh, be a lot of Wisconsin Badgers football content coming also, we'll take a look at the NIT as well, why it was important for the Badgers to go there, and hopefully, eh, maybe they'll come away with a victory. And will they hang a banner for it? I've got some thoughts on that as well. That's it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Enjoy Tales from 1265. Again, that's coming out next week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, again, we'll keep doing the Doug Russell Podcast, and we'll see you next time right here on the show. 